Hey, this is Clayton Plemons from Union Bible College, and you're listening to Grace Story Podcast. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name is Nate Davison, and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast. Thank you for joining us once again. I'd like to say there is no us without you. So I'm glad you're here for yet another episode. Now on today's episode, we have Christy Garland. She is a widow and mother of two. She received her master's in marriage and family counseling and has been a licensed professional counselor for 10 years. Uh, She says that she became a therapist because she personally knows what it's like to experience pain and knows what it's like to fight towards healing, referring to the loss of her spouse to suicide. Chrissy is the co-author of a book entitled Open Letters to Our Fellow Fighters, How the Gospel Brings Hope to Anxiety and Depression. Uh, She wrote that with Pastor Rob Phillips, and their hope is uh, stated as uh, creating this as a tool uh, to educate the Christian community in better understanding of what mental illness is in the heart of a believer. I know you're going to enjoy her story. I know you're going to enjoy her perspective on all sorts of things in here. Anxiety, uh, depression, there's addiction, church hurt as well. And her perspective on it is 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 a wonderful thing to hear. Um, and I, I hope you'll enjoy it. Let's go to that conversation with Chrissy right now. Chrissy Garland, it's good to have you on Grace Story Podcast. Thank you for coming on today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. And I just want to jump right in because you have quite the story to tell. Um, There's elements of loss, death, uh, mental health issues, addiction, uh, church trauma, spiritual abuse, Mm -hmm. all sorts of things to tie in there. But let's start at something that's uh, probably a good memory for you. And that's when you met Eric Garland, who uh, you spent eight years of your life with. Uh, Can you take us back to that moment and maybe tell us how y'all met and walk us through what that story looked like? Yes, absolutely. It's funny. I get asked that often and and it doesn't get old. It's still such a sweet and neat memory um, how God brought us together. And um, we actually met at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, I had grown up a minister's kid. He had grown up a minister's kid and he was from New York. So we randomly met at this seminary in Texas. And I grew up in Texas, but for him, it was it was just very random. But he was getting his Master of Divinity and he was in his first year. I was in my last year of getting my Master's in Marriage and Family Counseling. And uh, we just happened to cross paths. Um, So I thought, uh, apparently he knew who I was and had kind of stalked me a little bit and (laughs) found out where all my classes were. Oh, he did Um, his research. Wow. Oh, he did. He worked for the school and used that um, at his advantage. So he just started talking to me and and was very bold and his kindness and his outgoingness. what drew me in. It's what drew me in to to want to know him more, to be his friend and ultimately his wife. And uh, we just had big dreams, big dreams to change the world together for the kingdom. Um, wanted to tell people about um, Jesus and the gospel. And uh, we wanted to do that together. And so he had immediately gotten a pastoral position and we got married and jumped right into full-time ministry. 
Well, and it sounds like the perfect the perfect duo because right? you have you know the ministering the spiritual side, and then you're able to come along with the emotional side and just help uh, your your what well, we call them clients, but you know help the the parishioners through some things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm looking at the timeline of events, and all this is relatively recent. Um, after that first move, when, when was that? 2011, is that correct? 2011, we we took. We were already at a church uh, where where we went to school, and we had moved to a full time position in ministry. Elsewhere. And so, so with that, I mean, it, we we talk about sometimes full time ministry, vocational ministry. Mm-hmm. But w- were you ready for the amount of work or the amount <laughs> of uh, the the exhaustion that comes with full time ministry? Did you know what you were getting into? <laughs> we thought we did. I mean, we had grown up in ministry and. I was in local church ministry. His family was in an evangelism, like a parachurch type ministry. And we thought we knew everything, you know, in our 20s. And and we really were not prepared for everything that we would experience in ministry life. And we knew um, scripture. We knew theology. We knew um, just the basics of church ministry. But we didn't understand the dynamics of working with people and working in this field. And we we found out pretty quickly and continued to find out as we stayed in ministry. Yeah, because not, not only is he pastoring, but you're starting your own ministries within the church as well. Mm-hmm. So how is that, uh, that starting ministries, keeping ministries going, being available to so many people, how is that affecting you, your family, uh, and you each as individuals? You know, that's a good question. I don't know if I've ever been asked that question. Um, and I think that's part of the issue is we should have been asked that question constantly, especially in our first years. But um, I mean, we were single, we were young, we could stay out late, we could be on call, we could be flexible. Um, as long as we made sure that we were one and we stayed a family and we stayed in communication and uh, kept boundaries Um But, you know, you're not very good at that when it comes to ministry because you're called to a high purpose to take care of others. And so with with my calling to be in the counseling field, um, we're very strict on boundaries. But when you kind of cross over into ministry, that's more difficult because you do want to help people at any moment in time. And sometimes you're required and expected to do that. And when you're not, you start feeling pressure that you're not good enough or you're not fulfilling God's plan for your life, or um, you're not making your pastor happy by being available 24-7. Um, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that, and you start to experience burnout. And, and and that happened to us, and we didn't know where to go or what to do with it. Well, let's look at that and, and park it there for just a minute and talk okay. about the burnout. Uh, that timeline, uh, about what time, what year is this that you're starting to realize, hey, that word burnout's starting to pop up. <laughs> this may be what's happening to us. A uh, year one. I'm, just I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's the sad part is I'm not kidding because um, you start to realize you can't do it all and you think you can, and uh, but you can't make everyone happy and you uh, can't check all the boxes to be the best pastor or pastor's wife. Um, and so honestly, the first year you start to see it um, and it's different for every person, but it was probably our second year of ministry. It really weighed heavy on my husband and he started getting sick. He would get the shingles and he was in his twenties. So that's very rare. Oh, I've been uh, 28 years old. I had shingles. 
Uh, I really? mean, it, the best I can describe it as being sucker punched in the side <laughs> by a hornet's nest like every 30 minutes or so. It's terrible. It's awful. It is. And, and it's contagious, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, so we're told. And so you can't. How do you do ministry and also be contagious and also in extreme <laughs> pain? But somehow you right. do it because that is what you're required as a minister is you suck it up and you do it. And, well, it's and very I'm assuming painful. it was it was stress probably that brought that yeah. on, though. Um, it was stress. He had already um, very much so a person who wanted to please, who wanted everyone to love him. He was very lovable. Um and in ministry, just with working with people, not everyone will. And and that was that weighed on him, and that started to show physically. And he already struggled with um, depression and feeling uh, worthless, not good enough. But that in combination with that pressure to be on all the time started coming out physically in him. And he had the shingles four times. F- four times? Four times. So, Okay. So he's he's obviously overextended, and mm-hmm. you you're doing your own thing in ministry as well. So it's kind of hard to be there together. Uh, he, he's showing this in physical ways. How do you? What does that look like to keep ministering during that? Are <laughs> are you less effective? Are you just running on fumes? What uh, what does that look like? I'm sure it looks different for every person. For us, we would get home and we were both pretty good communicators. So we would talk about it. But the problem is we didn't know what to do with it. And I have like training and knowledge on how to do all these things. But when it comes to your own home and your own spouse and yourself, we're not as good at at practicing those type of tools. So we really went on fumes for a long time um, until we absolutely just couldn't anymore. Uh, because it did get so bad and so wearing. And at some point, we did talk to the pastor of the church we were at at the time, and it was it was the same message, like, um, go home, go be with your wife. or you know, But it was never really things that would actually help us get back on the right path um, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. So you're at the point where you know that you're burnt out, you're running on fumes, you reach out for help and there's no help on the way. Mm-hmm. What What is the next few months or the next couple of years look like for you too? Well, and, and we were able to fake it. We were able to keep going. Um, and again, there was good seasons and bad seasons and he would get help for his shingles and then we'd move forward. Um, but that help with shingles actually turned into another problem. And the last time he had shingles, they started giving him pain medication to help, to help him. And around that same time, we had lost a child and we'd been trying for years to have a baby. We lost this one, um, second trimester. It was just devastating for us. And those pain pills not only helped him with the physical pain of the shingles, but he found that it was one of the few things that would help him with his emotional pain. And so that started a very long road of addiction for him. Now, I don't want to project, you know, my own whatever uh, under yeah. this, but it, it seems like if I was in this situation and I am knowing behind the scenes, I'm using medications to prop me up and I'm already, I'm on fumes uh, and I've asked for help and I'm not getting it, but I know I have to perform. Mm-hmm. On some level, 
when I go home, I feel like I would feel like a fraud. And I feel yes. like that wouldn't be helping anything as well. How did, how did he <laughs> and you deal with maybe some of those feelings of I'm not who people think I am um, and they want me to be the hero, but I'm right. just not that. So I'm supplementing to become that somehow. Yes. And I, I love that you said that because I think, and this is, again, generalization about just men in general, like when you want to provide for your family, when you want to be okay, when you want to go to work and be successful uh, in all areas and you're just not, um, I think isolation becomes the first reaction to that. And um, he may have felt like a fraud, but I didn't know it because I didn't know about his addiction until later on. So to me, he was starting to function properly. He was getting his work done. He seemed happier. All the while, it was the pain medication that was masking all of the pain inwardly, outwardly. Um, and and I didn't know for probably a good year to two, two years. So let's, let's go to those two years later because it's, mm. it's interesting when you say, I didn't know until. What was that until moment? What was... Oh, goodness. Um, well, and I, I don't want to discount the fact that obviously I was struggling as well. Um, but the way I handled it was very differently than the way he handled it. Um, I, I found healing in purpose. And so I would give of myself to everyone I could in, in ministry and in counseling and Sometimes I regret that too, because I missed it. I missed it with him. And um, he wasn't the only way that found unhealthy coping te techniques and um, mechanisms, but I was too, just in a different way that didn't have such a lasting effect. But um, yeah, two years later, we uh, finally, we got pregnant with twins and, and I just thought our life, we had just went to a large a large church that my husband took a very high pastoral role in. And uh, we were just thinking life, I was thinking life was going great for us. Um, all these things we prayed for, all this heartache, and we finally had made it in our minds. And um, shortly after, he was diagnosed with cancer. And we thought, I thought, this makes sense. This is why you know, he's been sick all the time. He started getting really sick, not shingle sick, but um, just in and out of the hospital sick and throwing up seizures, different things. And they finally found this cancer. And again, I thought, yes, we found an answer, but oh my goodness, I'm going to lose my husband. Our babies were just born. And that same week we found out he had cancer. Um, it came out that he also had this just it had become a horrible um, addiction to opioids the same week. Um, and it didn't come out in a pretty way. Um, it came out in media and we were at this church and it was, I would like to say it was the worst week of my life. Um, it, and I've had several terrible weeks like that, but it was just horrific. Um, didn't know what to do. This this family with dreams and hopes who had everything going for them just fell apart and crumbled and really d was destroyed in the worst possible way. So with a, a, another crushing blow on your mm -hmm. roller coaster of life, yeah. again, in such a short time span, it's almost mind blowing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so where did you guys go from there? Because it sounds like there's nothing left, uh, which is maybe the start of what ultimately this all ends in, uh, your, your yes. story with him. Yes. Um, you know, it, it's it's funny, and I think it's a good point to, to say this for, for us as believers. Even in that devastation, I tried to fix it. Because that is what I learned to do from a young age. Like, how do we fix this? How do we make it right? How do we make it look good? How do we? And I was so immersed in that belief uh, when I should have just been broken. I should have allowed God just be like, Chrissy, you have nothing left to control. Like, just give it, just give it to me because you, but I still tried to control it in that moment. And Um, My husband ended up resigning from that church, going to rehab, um, and he was in inpatient rehab for a month, outpatient for uh, several months after that. And in that process, we were not in ministry. Um, The church church didn't want us, um, and and it was very uncomfortable because I actually went to the church after he went to rehab, (laughs) and that's a whole other story, just what God taught me. from from being in leadership to to not even being really welcomed in the church home um but he he did go into remission Uh, they took out all the cancer he went into remission got clean from his addiction and then that left us with nothing again he came home and we tried to pick up the pieces and it was very very difficult um because many people had turned their backs on us and and I, I don't think out of meanness, not everyone, just just out of not knowing how how or what to do with us at this moment. And my kids were only three months old. Well, sure. There, I mean, even now, and part of what we try to do on the podcast is break down stigma of uh, mental health, uh, mm-hmm. mental health in the church, especially uh, mm-hmm. medications that might be needed. Good grief, professional help that might be needed is something we have to break down stigma about. So Yes, and... And the addiction, I really don't think the addiction was the root of, of Eric's issues because we finally did get diagnosis of clinical depression, anxiety, bipolar, and and that helped us understand why he was so much more prone to become addicted to medication and why that helped him uh, for a short while with his emotional pain. So were you ever able to jump back into ministry? Because that's your life. Uh, what what did you do <laughs> after that crash and burn um, and people moving away? And, uh, and, and I'm going to put a pin in the, the, the thing you said, the church didn't want me, the church didn't want us, because I'd like to talk about that mm-hmm. a little bit more. Because I don't think you're the only one that's ever had that type of a uh, either overt or, or covert uh, insinuation to them yeah. from the church body, um, at mm-hmm. least the institution of the church. But were, this okay. is your life. Ministry, both of you, were you able to get back into ministry from that? <laughs> I love the fact that you said crash and burn because that that really does describe it. It was a crash and burn um, on epic proportions, um, which is humorous because someone, as someone who tried to keep our life together um, so perfectly since I was a kid as a PK. Um, yeah, that definitely happened. And and so we tried going into, I, I, I was able to continue on as a mom, as a therapist, um, but he, his identity 
who he was was wrapped up in ministry. And um, that's not always healthy. Um, it can be a calling. It could be God's purpose for our life. But sometimes when it's forced, it's difficult. And so he went through a state of just really deep depression. And um, thankfully, he was on antidepressants and was in counseling in that period. He took on other jobs. Um, and about a year after all of that happened, we decided we'll try to go back in ministry. And, and we did. We found church that um, brought us on a very, what seemed to be a healthy church, a kind church, and felt like we asked all the questions. Um, but as soon as we got back, we got on staff, um, one of the pastors, head pastors had said, okay, well, we don't want you telling anybody about your depression, your past addiction, um, that you're um, taking medication. Nobody needs to know that because pastors don't deal with things like this. And we had already moved there. We moved our family there. So we were like, okay, you know, I guess this is what we have to do. And, and that didn't go so well either um, because that's not what the Lord created us for. He didn't create us to be these perfect vessels um, because he's perfect. And in our brokenness, he shows his perfectness and he shows his healing power. And um, if you knew my husband, my late husband at all, it was that he wanted people to know that Jesus loved them where they were, in their brokenness, in the pit of despair. Jesus didn't love us because we're perfect and pretty and checked off all these boxes. He loved us when we're down in the dumps and ugly and, and broken. And that's where his, his love and his power really shines through. And so in him starting to talk about his testimony, um, the church ultimately and immediately let us go. So in a church, did they tell you why? I mean, you can only assume if they didn't tell you why it's because they want things to look good and proper mm -hmm. and, and it's tough talking about issues like this. It yes. can be awkward. Do they have any reason why they didn't want that? Did they tell you directly? Um, <laughs> they told us a lot of things. We heard a lot of things. Um, it was so immediate. It was kind of like, get your stuff, leave. Um, you didn't follow protocol. And, and um, the, whole, the whole ordeal, like we, you can't have keys. You can't come back here. Very abrupt. Um, and it wasn't till later it was we we'd hear things you know and well did you know he was a drug addict and, and stuff like that and it's like well <laughs> and that's kind of what happens at churches either they stay hush hush or they they have to create some kind of story or explanation to people and all we knew was you didn't follow the rules and you're out of here um and so uh that that ultimately is where the downfall of um, Eric's last months were. So when, and I'm focusing on in your last sentence there, the downfall, that's where the downfall, because I'll be honest with you, hearing this, the whole thing <laughs> sounds like a downfall, a spiral yes. where you might coast on the same level for a little bit, but the mm -hmm. next place you go or the next thing that happens, it's one more step down. Yes. Which seems like it's harder and harder to see the fingerprints of God in your life <laughs> when that's happening. So when you Absolutely. say downfall, is this an accelerated downfall? And, <laughs> and what was that, that that was the catalyst towards uh, what we're about to talk about? Yes. And, and it, 
it does sound like a lot of despair uh, for many, many years. And it was, but then there are these moments of hope and moments of um, my children being born and dreams for them and understanding God's love um, for those who have fallen, for those who have failed and understanding um, his love in such a different way than we did before and being able to share that love with others and to empathize with more people. And um, those were high moments in the downfall, um, but it did, it just kept getting worse and worse and, and the suffering continued. And um, from a spiritual standpoint, that was very difficult because we had given our lives to the Lord and we continued to give our lives to the Lord, even in the heartache and the suffering. But um, Eric just couldn't make sense of it all. He couldn't. And when I say the ultimate downfall, I think the fact that Christians, he knew a God so different than the behavior of the believers that we encountered, not all believers, but a lot of the church leadership believers. Um, it was so confusing and devastating. And that in combination with his depression, anxiety, ultimately he, he gave up. He saw life, um, a world that was better without him in it and um, didn't see the point in living anymore. So his, his issues with mental health are getting worse. Is he able to stay on his medications or do you just give up on those two? So when the church let us go, they kicked us out of the insurance that we had always had. And if you're in ministry and you're in a, a certain denomination, you have insurance your entire life, pretty much. <laughs> um, and it's very difficult to get out of that that group of insurance but they made a point to kick us out of the insurance where we could not have access to insurance and therefore we were unable to pay um, for medications so what he did was he tried to fourth it half it um until it ran out and uh, when it ran out it was it was very apparent in his everyday behaviors his everyday life um that he just wanted to give up. Um, and he was trying, he was really trying. He took on two jobs. He tried, we tried to get insurance as quickly as possible, but we were 11 days away, um, from getting insurance through the uh, job that he had, uh, when he took his life. So with this, all of this going on, and then in a moment, your life has changed your partner your friend, your best friend, yeah, uh, the one you go to and have been going to through the entirety of, <laughs> of, of everything you've just mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, in a blink of an eye, they're gone. How are, are you bitter? Are you angry? Are you in those moments after? Are you just lost? Are you, where are you at? Where's, where's Chrissy? Well, after it, I was bitter at the church. I was angry at the church. Um, God called me to serve in ministry from a very young age. Um, and that was my first initial reaction was, how could you do this? How could you push him to this? And then as the fog kind of cleared in my mind, um, my mind became more reasonable. I, I realized that I can't be angry at the church. I can be angry at the actions of some people. Um, but the church is Christ's representation 
Um, it's his body here on earth and we are all human. And my love actually has grown uh, for ministry and church, but I am still in the process of figuring out my anger changes. I get angry at me. Uh, sometimes I get angry at him. Um, and, but honestly, the emotion that oh, probably overwhelms all of it is the hope we have in Jesus. And that sounds so cliche, but I, I became angry at a God for allowing us to go through all of this. But then at the same time, thanking that same God, our same God for welcoming my husband with open arms. Mm. Um, because without God, he wouldn't have had life. Without God, he wouldn't have life now, life without the pain and without the sorrow. And even though God allowed all of this to happen and he saw it and I'm sure it broke his heart, um, that emotion, that gratitude and thankfulness um, seems to overwhelm like that anger and the loneliness and the sadness about all of it. Well, as I'm listening to you speak of that um, and hearing in your voice that the emotions are still strong. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it, w one thing I'm noticing is that there is not just some pinnacle that you achieve where you are no longer feeling an emotion or feeling angry or maybe having to deal with bitterness. Um, this is something that's ongoing and it doesn't mean you're a failure because you feel something uh, mm -hmm. that comes up for you, but melding your uh, role as a licensed counselor, then also as someone who's been through this trauma, can you explain to me and maybe make it evident to the listeners as they're listening? Why is it okay? And, and, and maybe what does that picture look like of just a lifetime of emotions, big yeah. emotions mm -hmm. that you think you maybe have dealt with and like, well, what's the point? Why go to a counselor? It just keeps on coming up. Um, and, and just try to help, help make that make sense that it's okay. And then also it's going to happen. And it doesn't mean that cause your, your tools aren't worth it and the work isn't worth it. Hmm. No, that's great. Um, I wrote a blog post shortly after Eric died. It's called, um, the missing piece. And I think back then I thought I would have that missing piece kind of figured out. I don't, you know, I don't even years later, I still feel like a hot mess. Um, but I love, love, love and remind myself of this quote and um, it's by Sheila Walsh and it says, my brokenness is a better bridge to others than my pretend wholeness ever was. And that's what God reminds me of. Like, yes, Chrissy, you're, you're a hot mess. You don't have it all together. And, and for most of my life as a pastor's kid, as someone in ministry, I have worked so hard to paint this beautiful picture of who I am because I thought that meant God was with me. I thought that meant God was working in my life um, when it was actually quite the opposite because in holding so tight to that control, I wasn't allowing God to be who God was in my life. I was allowing me to be who I thought I needed to be. And so I have learned that it's okay to be broken. It's okay to be real. And not only is it okay, it's healthy. It's healthy because then we can allow Christ to do his work. Then we can allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. And we do relate to other people. And we not only relate to them, but we encourage them Hey, it's okay that you're broken too. It's okay that you're hurting, that you're suffering. 
that is not a reflection of God's love for you. It's not a reflection of who you are. And it shouldn't be a reflection of how we as believers love each other. It should be the opposite. We love each other for exactly who we are and where we are and how we are. And that is just broken human beings in a sinful world trying to live a life worthy of Christ, trying and knowing that his love is big enough to cover it all. It just is. And that, phrase, that phrase you say, the reflection of how we love each other, you're looking into a broken reflection okay. of that at times in the church. And, and you've dealt with a lot, we've, we've talked about some of them, but I'm sure there's more in the, the micro, the moments of, of the bigger hurts, the, the leaving, the, the cutting you off in, in certain ways. And, and, and you deal with that mm-hmm. with the people um, and you're already hurting, you're already dealing with loss and, and mm-hmm. you still Absolutely. love the church. So with that, how did you move along with talking about loss and talking about church hurt, how did you move to a point of being able to share with others? Um, and relatively recently, mm-hmm. this has all happened, 2019. Um, how did you get to the point where you're you're able to share your story and share it in a way that points others mm-hmm. to Jesus and not just mm-hmm. validating your own emotions? Yes, and I really, when Eric died, I was tired of living the Christian life I had been living. Um, I was good and I felt like if I was good, if I was checking off these boxes, then of, of my goodness, of my performance for the Lord, um, then God would love me more somehow or bless me more somehow. And it wasn't anything necessarily that the church taught me or my parents taught me. It was just something I had been conditioned to believe, uh, growing up in ministry. Um, and so when Eric died, I kind of just threw up my hands and said, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I, I can't fake that I'm okay. I can't fake that I'm happy and that I'm good with God or I'm good with the church or that I'm, um, good with all of these things happening. And I just said, you know, here we go. And I, I remember I just started writing and I said, I'm going to put this out here to let everyone know this is our story. This is the real part of our story. And that Eric had a voice that he should have, um, that should not have stayed silent. He had a voice to help people through his brokenness, even as a pastor who struggled so epically. And I said, I want to change this culture. I want to speak into the church to say, um, we don't do these things because it's what we're supposed to do. We do we do these things because we are broken and it's who Jesus is through us. And we want to provide that hope for other people, that healing for other people. And sometimes that has to start with us as church leadership. And so um, that passion inside of me just to be real um, and, and not, and to, I understood God's grace in such a different way um, from everything we went through. I wanted to let other people know like, Hey, this grace is extended to you as believers, as church leaders. If you're struggling, if you're failing, get help and talk about it. Be real um, because we teach it all the time, but we don't practice it in our own life. So that's what started me sharing and talking about it. Well, let's go, let's go further down that road because this is something that every church needs 
but not every church concentrates on that's discussions mm-hmm. on mental health. Uh, cause heaven forbid, we talk about the individual as if they're holistic and God made every part of our being, whatever that may be. Um, and emotions are very much something that, uh, well, they're part of being yeah. made in the image of God because God has Absolutely. big emotions as well. How, how, let me ask it this way. How can we start uh, at least to have conversations about these issues, um, is it to start to letting letting pastors be real um, or is it uh, just starting to talk about it in maybe a back classroom or what, what would you say is the best way to start having these conversations? Yes, all of the above. You know, pastors are no better than people in the back classrooms. They're not. They just have they have a calling in their life. Um, they have a different profession. But I think that's where it starts is is as church leaders, knowing that we're no better. We're no better as kings than lepers. We're no better as people on stage, as people um, on the streets outside of our church. And and understanding that um, is what starts, I think, a stirring within churches to say, okay, let's start being real. Um, and again, not not being real to, to give permission to sin. And but to give permission to say, I struggle with these things and I need help for them. And the church is going to be the first place to address them. The church is going to be at the front lines of providing resources for people, pastors, people, uh, laymen alike. Um, and so where does it start? It starts everywhere. But I think church leadership, um, I think it starts with them within the church body in that discussions need to to be had like hey what is the culture of our church do we practice what we preach um we're so willing to love on others who are struggling but are we loving on each other um is the lead pastor loving on the youth pastor for struggling with a pornography addiction is it a safe place for the youth pastor to share that with the lead pastor those questions need to be asked um so that you can start taking steps to um, get help for these things to not have a um, an environment of fear, but of of love and grace. If one of those people are struggling with them, and I think it's kind of like that waterfall effect. If they're practicing that from the head, from the top of the chain, then it will fall onto the people and into the streets, and, and that's where the gospel is lived out. Well, hearing hearing you say that it's it's got to be the the role of the church to be a leader in this. One of the questions I did want to ask you is what is the church's role in a mental health crisis like that? Cause we're, we're, there is a mental health crisis happening in the United States, especially after this pandemic. We've talked about that in recent episodes mm-hmm. um, and hearing you say it's the leadership to start with that. I love it. The church as a whole and, and the body of Christ, cause we're, we're called to be ministers, maybe not vocationally, but all of us ministers, mm-hmm. what are some things, again, you as a licensed counselor and as someone who's been through some some mental health issues with your husband there, what are some ways that we as the body can also respond and what's our role as the church body um, in this mental health crisis? No, and I think every, and we say the church, and I want to make it clear, the church is an entity, but it's the people. It's the people um, as believers, whether it's church, um, local church. I I have a huge heart for the local church, and I feel like 
a way that the local church can be on the front lines and be spearheading um, hope and healing in this crisis is by providing resources and being educated in these areas. Um, it's it's interesting because even in, in the counseling world, we're at odds. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we're at odds because it's like, there's this clinical side. And if you go on, if you really believe in this clinical side, that means you don't believe in scripture and uh, biblical tools and biblical ways of healing. And that's not true at all. Um, I think God gives us all of these things. He gives us um, intelligence and doctors and and scripture and, and amazing uh, books and resources for us to, to utilize as a church body. Um, also, there's these just amazing ministries out there like Celebrate Recovery, Freedom Ministry, um, Grief Share. There's different ministries that churches can be doing um, it, within their body, within their local communities, um, within their community. Yeah, communities as a whole, uh, churches can partner in doing this. But it starts with saying, this is this is an issue going on this is an issue that is a part of the gospel. And that's why it's important. And these are ways that our community can come together um, in Jesus's name to bring hope and healing into mental health, the mental health crisis and depression, anxiety. And I recently wrote a book with a pastor friend of mine, and it really addresses all of that, like how to, how depression, anxiety, you find that all throughout scripture and how we as Christians kind of ignore that or don't see it. And it's important that we do see it because it's, it's been an issue for a very long time. And the, again, the church needs to be talking about it and seeing the importance of speaking hope and healing and providing these resources for people. And that goes right along with what we love to do, which is here at Grace Story Ministries. Let's have the conversation. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about what's happening because we all know what's happening anyways. Um, like we just had a, a, an episode talking about adult children of divorce. Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine the holidays and just the awkwardness. And then oh, as long as we don't talk about it, it's not really happening. But addressing what's in the room, getting people help that actually need help. Uh, man, I love it. Let's let's have the intelligent, real, <laughs> raw conversation yes. and be adult enough to deal with the emotions that come alongside that mm -hmm. um, in a constructive way and yeah. in a Christ-like way. Absolutely. Um, well, we're coming to uh, the end here because we're almost out of time. It's crazy. Uh, sometimes these conversations slip away from me uh, <laughs> on time. But um, it, I always like to give the guest, yourself, Chrissy, um, an opportunity to speak directly to the listener and if there's something we've talked about today, um, something that uh, you want the listener to remember um, or you just want them to know um, from Chrissy to the listeners in the Grace Story community, what would that be today? Oh, wow. Um, I share my story because I know what it's like to suffer in silence. Um, I loved a man who suffered in silence and thought that God didn't love him, or he struggled with understanding God's love because he was suffering, because he didn't have answers. And for anyone who's listening to this, whatever your story is and your background and your trauma and your pain and your suffering, um, 
I want you to know that that is not a reflection again of God's love for you. And people are broken and you may feel betrayed and hurt by people that call themselves Christians and believers. And that person may have done you very wrong um, and may not have understood you. Um, but that is not Jesus, and that will never, ever be Jesus. Jesus will always walk with you. He will always um, love you, no matter how far you've fallen, no matter what you're dealing with. And that's why we keep trying. Um, people often ask me why I love the local church so much, because we were hurt a lot by the local church. And it is because of Jesus, because Jesus loves the local church. And we don't give up on the church. We don't give up on each other, no matter the behaviors of humans. Um, we keep believing in the hope of Christ. We keep living every day, despite what we're dealing with, because there is always hope. We do not know the future. We do not know what God is doing, but we must trust and believe that in our struggles and even in these, what we can call thorn in the flesh, whether it be depression, anxiety, trauma, something horrific that you've been through, grief, um, even through all of those things, there will always, always be hope. And we must keep living in that belief um, because if anything we know as believers um, that after this world, we will have a life of abundance. And that's why we hold on. So whether it's you that's experiencing pain, whether it's a, a friend or someone you don't even know yet, like we just must love differently. We must love differently and live out differently and uh, just have grace because um, grace is just so important. And remember that God's grace wasn't just a day on the cross that, that saved us. It wasn't just saving grace. It's that sustaining grace that's in every single day. And we must accept that from Him and give it to others and, and give it to ourselves. What a great episode, a lot here, a lot to work through. Uh, if you need to talk to someone after listening to what you've just heard, uh, I hope that you'll reach out. You can you can get me at nate at greatstoryministries.com, amber at amber at greatstoryministries.com, and then even ryan, ryan at greatstoryministries.com. You can also go over to the website, greatstoryministries.com, and click contact and reach out to us that way as well. Uh, Chrissy's book is available on Amazon and Kindle. Open letters to our fellow fighters, how the gospel brings hope to anxiety and depression. Uh, you can look that up as a, as a resource as well. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Uh, we hope that you'll be there. There is no us without you. So we hope that you'll come back and join the Grace Tour community and listening in on all the, the tools and the resources that will be available in that episode uh, for you on your journey of restoration. Until then, uh, we hope that you'll continue on that journey and we'll be praying for you.